Uh, today we're going to continue our Christmas series uh, with, and my good friend John Reinheimer is here to share today. John has taught on a few occasions, and so would you join me in welcoming him to the stage? Awesome. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Hey, if you love Pastor Jerry, let's give him a big amen. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. I joked with him first service. We knew each other when we were both pastoring at Southeast Christian Church. Man, he's just gotten better and better. And so, uh, love you, Jerry. And yeah, fantastic. Christmas season, I have to, I'll start with a confession as well. I get tired and I get stressed. And so, while we're at church together, let's just be honest. How stressed out or tired are you during this Christmas season? One being you are done Christmas shopping, your house is decorated, you are feeling great. Ten, other side of the scale, you haven't decorated your house, you haven't begun any Christmas shopping, and you're starting to panic. Hold up your fingers, scale of one to ten, where are you? If you're not participating, I'm going to give you a 10 because you're so stressed out, you can't even do that kind of math right now. Okay, if you're sitting near a 1, I advise them being your new best friend because they're going to help you out if you're stressed out. That's great. If you're sitting by a bunch of like 8, 9s, and 10s, you may want to start praying right now about moving your seat, okay? Because it could be a stressful situation here, and hopefully this service won't push them over the edge. When you're stressed out, though, I'm stressed out at least, I find God uses music to help me out. Also, exercise, right? We know historically and research tells us. So we are going to combine those two powerful things together here in a little game, a little quiz. How well do you know your Christmas music? When you think you know the answer to these songs, if you are correct, well, you can stand either way. Stand when you think you know the answer to these songs. That's the exercise part. And the stress-free part, the relieving part is going to be the music part. So when we play these tunes, you stand when you think you know the answer. And if you're right, there is a prize. There are prizes. And let's just say they may rhyme with the word Arbucks, okay? And so, real prizes here. Pastor Jerry and his lovely, awesome, studly assistant here, our uh, Braun, are going to help you out here. So, are you ready? That was slightly better than the first service, but are you ready? Here we go. All right, the first song, Stand When You Think You Know the Answer. All right, is she right? White Christmas, survey says? Correct, all right. All right, if you're not in a good mood, you're going to be by the end of this game, all right? So, and if not, we'll, Pastor Jay will pray for you, all right. All right, number two. Oh, okay. It's getting heated. <laughs> survey says... Correct. All right. We've got a few more. Don't worry. There's still a chance to, to get a prize here. All right. Number three. Rockin' around Christmas tree. Is she right? Yes. Good job. I know some of you, it's hard to clap because you wish you were winning right now, but okay, extend some grace. There's still a chance here. Okay, number four. A little bit tougher. I already won. 
Did she nail it? Yes, good job. All right, only two left, so the pressure is mounting to find out if you can win one of these fabulous prizes. Number five. Oh. I don't know. I saw it. Go ahead. Your call. Ava was the first one up. All right. I think she's right. What do you think? Man, we have some killer jams going on here. People are bopping. I did notice there was a large increase of men who knew that song, and I was correlated to Mariah Carey back in the 90s or not, but that's another message for another day. Last one. Here's the pressure. Here we go. What do we got? Number six. I saw, I saw, I saw over here. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah chorus. You nailed it. Good job. <laughs> Now, typically, it's customary. We've kind of lost it a little bit, but when you hear the Hallelujah Chorus, everybody stands. But you may be of a certain age where you didn't know that was even a thing because the only way you know that song is from the Christmas classic, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You know, the scene where Chevy Chase is finally getting his lights to work and they finally connect, and then it goes, Hallelujah, right? Like that part. Well, it actually has a little bit more history than that movie. 1741, <laughs> to be precise, George uh, Handel, uh, George Frederick Handel composed The Messiah, the great piece of war of music, and in it was the Hallelujah Chorus, kind of his, his final piece there. And the way history is recorded is when uh, King George II first heard the Hallelujah Chorus. He was so moved by the power and the majesty of, of the music and the lyrics that he stood to his, his feet out of just the, the awe and the majesty of God. Some of the lyrics you may recall are, he is king of kings and lord of lords, and he will reign forever and ever. And just that just hit him. And ever since then, out of honor for who Jesus is and that he is king of kings and lord of lords, people traditionally stand. What the people don't usually know about that song is when, uh, when Handel was often composing and writing this, his, his servants and his, his, his uh, assistants would come in and bring him meals, and they would find him often weeping. And it's reported that it's because he said, it's as if I have encountered the presence of God. Handel experienced life with God as he was composing this. And that's why I believe it's so much more that piece than a piece of music. It's really scripture coming to life as we encounter his presence. And so that's really this sums up the series that we're in called With. We're in week two, and it's a series all about uh, Isaiah 7:14, about Emmanuel, God with us. How Jesus comes to earth in the form of a baby. We call it the incarnation. God comes and puts on flesh. He's fully God and fully man. And all of a sudden, God goes from being just really, really distant to he comes near. And he becomes clear of what God looks like and what he wants for our lives. And so this whole series is about how, how God's presence with us, how Jesus makes that possible. And this is, an ex, this is an incredible experience of his presence at Christmas time. And so Genesis 1 and 2 is actually that vision for God's, uh, God's desire and design for our life. Genesis 1 and 2 talks about Adam and Eve, how they live life with God. They walked with him. And so God's vision for us is that we would enjoy life with him. 
That's Genesis 1 and 2, the very beginning of the Bible, if you don't know that. Then Genesis 3, some people call, it's called the fall. It's, that's when we get separated from God. But we're not supposed to live out of that reality. We're not supposed to live far from him. We're not supposed to continue to, to live in sin under that control. We're supposed to come home to Jesus and learn how the family, what it looks like, how heaven's reality becomes our reality, becomes our vision for daily life. And so this is one of the reasons Christmas is so important, this incarnation, that Jesus coming to put on human flesh. It makes it possible for us to have and live this vision of reality. It's one of the reasons we use our mission here of helping people find their way back to God. We want to help people live into this reality. And so if you have your Bible or a Bible app, or if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you in the chair. Go to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 8 down to verse 18. We're going to spend a little time here talking about God's presence and how it changes us. It's interesting, though, in this story uh, that, that we read during Advent here a little bit earlier, the role that music plays with the shepherds and how God uses music so many times for us to encounter his presence, similarly to how uh, Handel encountered God's presence when he was composing the Hallelujah Chorus. So today I just want to offer up a few ideas of how the shepherds' lives were impacted by the presence of God. But first, just to make sure we're all on the same page, we're going to talk about shepherding, shepherds, since that's not as common an occupation here in Carmel. Maybe online it is for you, but shepherds in ancient Israel kind of had mixed reviews, if you will. Shepherding, while it was really important, it also, you know, for the local economy, it was important because, you know, livestock was kind of a big deal. And so that played a valuable part in, uh, in, the, in essential occupation, in the economy. There was even many biblical figures, right, Had, were shepherds at one time, including Abraham, David. If you know the Bible, you've also probably heard of God being called the good shepherd. So on the positive side of shepherding, you have that. On the less than positive side, shepherds were kind of a little bit of outcasts, maybe estranged uh, different social circles because of their occupation, right? It literally required them to be away from people for large periods of time out in fields, making them literally distant, physically di- di- uh, distant, often smelly, and then also unclean, both, again, physically, but to many of the Jewish rituals and laws. So they were not always able to honor those customs and those rituals. And so they were also considered a lot of times ritually unclean. And so they were kind of marginalized, yet essential. And there was this mixed bag. Yet the shepherds play a significant role in the Christmas story, teaching us what happens when you and I encounter God's presence. Said another way, it's all about the presence. Isn't it? Right? Who loves presence, right? Raise your hands. There we go. Don't lie in church. Not good. All right. But it's all about his presence, right? And so I want you to tell your neighbor, say, it's all about the presence. Tell your other neighbor who was your second choice, it's all about the presence. Why? Because one moment with God can change everything. His presence can change everything. And so we're going to dive in here. The first thing we encounter God's presence, it's often in the unlikely. The scripture tells us there in verses 8 and 9, the shepherds were out living in the fields. They were just doing daily life. Now, when I think about this story, I've just grown up always thinking they were out probably just sitting there kind of waiting for the angels, right? 
It was calm. It was peaceful. We don't know that for sure. It says they were out living. And if shepherding is anything like I imagine and what I've researched, it had, there's a lot going on. Maybe they were super stressed out. Maybe they were like, man, this plot of grass is all gone. What are we going to do tomorrow? Maybe they were stressed out. Maybe they were like, we are out of water. I don't see a well for miles. What are we going to, you know, maybe uh, uh, wolves had just attacked them and they had just been exhausted and they were finally going to get down to rest. Maybe they had left the 99 sheep to go find that one. And they were like those stupid sheep wandering off again. And they were really irritated. And then the angels show up like, oh, great. What are we going to do with this? Now, we don't know. Seems unlikely. But we don't know. What we do know is that they were living their daily lives. And I've already told you during this Christmas season, I get pretty tired out, pretty stressed out. I don't know about you. And when I'm those things, it's pretty easy, at least for me, to miss what God is up to. His presence is not always top of mind for me. And so I wonder... What if we took a different posture of being a little more expectant this Christmas season? What might his presence, what might Jesus want to do in and through you as you and I are going about living in our fields, work, school with exams? It's wrong that kids go to school right after Christmas time. That's another message, but okay. You know, and as we're in our fields of, you know, shopping on Amazon and feeding our families at Costco, right? Like all those things, what happens if we were expectant for his presence to show up? Second thing, when we encounter God's presence, we get moved from fear to action. The Bible says they were terrified and afraid, which makes a lot of sense because every biblical depiction of an angel is a fiery being who is bright and people are always like, ah! So I give them a break there. That would throw me off guard uh, if I wasn't expecting something like that. And we typically, when something all of a sudden happens, do get caught off guard and get a little startled. Um, the last several Christmases, about the last four, uh, my boys and I and the small group of guys that we lead, uh, middle school guys, so you can pray for that right there. Middle school guys, 14 of them, you can pray for us. But uh, we go out and we do this thing called Ninja Jesus. Ninja, what is Ninja Jesus? Ninja is we go secretly and we place cookies and encouraging notes with verses on, on people's doorsteps. That's the Jesus part, the verse and everything. And the ninja goes back to secretly escaping without getting caught. But you have to knock on the door, run away, and be able to see their response. Now, the boys love this because it feels like you're doing something wrong because you're knocking on someone's door and running away. But you're leaving them like a gift and a verse, right? But you want us to be able to see their response. But a lot of times in our excitement and enthusiasm, as guys are knocking on the door, it's not like a little... It ends up being more like an FBI, this is the police, kind of boom, boom, boom. And it does startle people. And then they kind of come out like, I have to admit, if it was me at 8 o'clock at night, I'd be like, who is knocking on my door like that? And then they look around and they look down and they get the cookies, they read the note. And oftentimes they'll do something like this. Th thank you, whoever's out there, or they'll post on our neighborhood Facebook page. A couple times there's been some fun exchanges. You can imagine people usually are so polite on, you know, social media. But every year there is at least one, if not two, encouraging stories like this where people say, wow, I've had the worst year, or we just moved here, or we've been down and out, and I got this incredible verse, and thank you so much to whoever left that. It's funny how God can use presence from presence, right? 
But we have to admit, when, when the first immediate thing happens like that, when something news hits us that we don't know what to do with, it can startle us. It can make us afraid. That's what the scripture says, that they were afraid. And when we're afraid, when we're in fear, there's fear of the unknown. There's fear of how is this going to affect my daily reality? How is this going to affect my family? And when those kind of things, we get some news that we're not sure about. It's very normal. But then we have a very key decision to make. Are we going to continue to live in that fear? Or are we going to move from fear to action? The shepherds choose to go to action. I love how the New King James uh, they highlights verse 10 here. Just trust me. It says, behold, I bring you good news. That word behold means don't miss what I want to show you. Isn't that good? Don't miss what I want to show you. Because when you're afraid and I'm afraid, well, you know what happens? We often miss what God wants to teach us in that moment of life with him. So maybe in that unexpected in that fearful news or moment or stressfulness, what if he's moving you some action? And that's what happens. The shepherds, they do take action. And you might assume, like I often have, is the shepherds have to say yes, don't they? I mean, an army of angels singing to them, you know, they have to say yes. I don't think they did. The shepherds chose to say yes because they encountered the personal presence of God. Not abstract, not, not pressure, not force, not you better do this or I'm going to hit you with a lightning bolt. No. These little Jewish shepherd boys and, and, and men had grown up their whole lives. It says, the angels told them the Messiah is here. They had been waiting expectantly. And maybe probably even were like, oh, who's going to, I've heard about that, but so long ago. No, they went because they wanted to worship. They responded out of love. And friends, you and I have a choice to make when we obey, when, when we follow Jesus. He doesn't force us to do it. He wants us to respond out of love, and then he wants us to obey him out of love. He doesn't force that on us. He wants us to obey out of life with him. So the, person, the, the, the shepherds experience God's presence, life with God, and they say, let's go, because it's all about the presence Say it with me. It's all about the presence. When we encounter his presence, it also gives us a contagious urgency. The scripture tells us in, in verse 16 there, they hurried off. I don't know what that means. I don't know how many sheep they had. I kind of picture everybody grabbing like two or three sheep, putting them under their arms, like a dad who's trying to board, you know, with all his new baby stuff onto a plane that no one's helping him with, right? And they hurried off, right? And when they get there, they're on a mission, and they find Jesus and his family. And this story, it shows us that you encounter God's presence. It shows you how one moment with God can change everything. There's a new urgency to their lives. Verse 17 says, when they had seen him, Jesus, they spread the word. Isn't that incredible? Untrained, not the most popular a necessary function of society, but all of a sudden, they encounter the living Jesus, life with God. And what's their thing? Man, it's contagious. There's an urgency. His presence gave them this. And they become maybe the first, arguably, first influencers ever in society. 
because it's all about the presence. When you encounter God's presence, you also go from existing to living. The shepherds are just doing their everyday lives, but it says that everybody that heard what they said, they were amazed. That word amazed is really interesting. It has this, this connotation of a heavy weight. Almost like, have you ever carried something where you're, 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 you're holding it and you're, you don't want to act like it's too heavy, but like it's really, your arms are starting to burn and you can't wait to give it to someone else. Like if you're like me, you're acting like this is no big deal. But like inside, you're like starting to shake a little bit like this. That's the, that's the emphasis of this word amazed, but it's in a good way. I can't wait to give you this amazing thing. It's so weighty. It's so important. It's so heavy. I want to give it to you. And in all the best ways, they had this news that was, that was powerful and motivating them that they just, when people heard it, they were like, yes, I want to carry that too. And I want to give it away to someone else. There was a contagious presence and they went from existing to living. They went from just their ordinary mundane job of ho-hum, yeah, I'm a shepherd, I got to do this thing, to all of a sudden they had a mission they had a purpose bigger than themselves. And now they're really living. They're stepping into life with God because it's all about the presence. This last one, when we encounter God's presence, it's we find our home in him, in Jesus. Now, this is kind of a, a bigger why. This is a bigger theological framework of what this story about the shepherds teaches us. And see, it's, it's really, because we, when we think about the incarnation, Jesus coming as a baby, coming to earth to be both fully God and fully man. The snippets of that is layered upon layered. We could do series after series on this. But one of the takeaways is that it gives us this inner like sneak peek into the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The second person of the Trinity shows up and he says, this is how relationships are supposed to work. What do I mean by that? The Trinity is all about being others-oriented. It's about God's holy love filling and forming us. And then we are focused on, hey, how can I best serve this person? I'm always looking to give myself away. I'm not looking for me and mine and how do I get what's best? That's the model relationships are supposed to be. It's what people are supposed to, personhood is supposed to be, what it means to be a, a person. And so one of the ways that God makes this possible is through the incarnation. God moves, again, remember from that distant abstract, talking through bushes and Ten Commandments and prophets, where he says, no, I'm showing up in the flesh so that you, I became like you so you can become like me. Oh yeah, I'm gonna send my spirit someday. And so the words that, some of the Bible words that are used often to describe this relationship of God with and God in us are the word abide and abode. One example is in John 14, 23. Are you tracking with me still? Not at all. Need more Starbucks cards. Okay, John 14, 23 says it this way. Those who love me will obey me. There's that. Because we love them, we obey him. Obey my teaching. My father will love them. There's a Trinity reference. And, we'll, and we will come to make, we will come to them and make our home with them. So that word home is the word abode. A home, abode, a dwelling place, right? It's the same word, root word for Abide. Abiding is this life in God. And so what, the, what John is doing here is very clever, and you might not catch it. So to the abode part is the life with God. It's the Old Testament picture of God. Very important, very critical. But then 
using this word that means also abide, he's taking the New Testament picture of God, life in God. And so he's putting these two things together of life with and in God. So we're making our home in him because abiding is all about this intimate, close relationship with him where our hearts are united to his and where you, anything you wanna do, Jesus, I'm in and I'm connected to you, I'm dependent on you. But the abode part, right? You live in a home, you rest in a home, you bring people into that home, into that way of life. All of this is about finding our home in Jesus. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, we were trying to do that here at Genesis. We want people to come and find a place where they can belong, where they can become like Jesus. They can learn to hear his voice. They can ask questions. They can be in a group. They can ask those questions that maybe they're nervous to ask other places. And so when we say finding your way back to God, it's also, you're also going to find your home in him. And so you can't do this. It's not even possible without the Christmas season without God's presence coming to earth in the form of a little baby. So when we encounter his presence, it's often in the unlikely. It moves us from fear to action. It gives us a contagious urgency. And we go from existing to living. And the last one is when we encounter his presence, we find our home in him. It's all about the presence one moment with God can change your and my reality. One man who knew that truth really, really well was a guy named Robert Morrison. Robert Morrison was a young British missionary back in the 1800s. And he was trained as an accountant growing up, but God called him to be a missionary to China. And so he set out and he went, and almost as soon as he got to China, they immediately kicked him out and deported him because he's a missionary, and it's illegal to be a missionary and tell people about Jesus back then and uh, still is. And so he, he went and he found this, this Portuguese province nearby called Macau. And it, it, he was able to live in Macau and then conveniently kind of travel in and out of China. But every time he went into China, he got kicked out. For 27 years, he repeated this pattern, and he needed to, you know, to survive. And so in order to have a livelihood, just to put food on the table, by day, he would be an accountant. And by night, he would translate the Bible. For 27 years, he kept at it and kept at it and just getting kicked out of the country every time and then back to work, back to Bible translation, back to work, back to Bible translation. Finally, after 27 years, he translated the entire Bible into Chinese. No small task, not an easy task today, let alone back then. Sadly though, he died soon thereafter at the age 52. Most of his friends and family and for sure his critics all said, what a waste. <laughs> this guy was so smart, so talented. He just wasted his life. Well, interestingly enough, a friend of mine, uh, back in uh, several years ago, back in the early 80s, so nearly more than 100 years ago, 100 years after the, written, the Bible's written, he came and he got to go and uh, visit uh, some churches. The government had opened up and they approved four churches. And my friend got invited by a local pastor to come and visit one of those churches. 
And so as he went and he just couldn't believe it, he was like, this is amazing. But he started to notice something kind of strange. He noticed as he was looking out over the congregation, it was a really young congregation. And he said, man, it's like 60 or 70% of the population is under the age of 30 in this room. So afterwards, he, he went to the pastor and he said, how is it that everybody is so young, you know, in your church? Since, you know, they grew up under communism. They grew up not being able to worship freely. And he said, well, here's what they did. Their, their parents were willing to sacrifice so they could know Jesus. And what that looks like, he said, was every night they would close all the shutters to their home so that no one could see probably hopefully not even here, they would quietly go to the floor, which is made of stone, and they would lift a brick out, stone, and they would get out a Bible. And they would quietly read the scriptures to their children. freely have access to his presence now. And Robert Morrison knew that he could trust God to do far more than he could ask or imagine. And he knew that when you encounter God's presence, it frees you. It frees you to say yes and say, God, however you want to use my life, even if I don't see the results, I trust you. I imagine the shepherds kind of got that lesson too. Scripture doesn't tell us what happens to these guys. <laughs> we don't know how many there were. We don't know their names. My guess is based on the story, the evidence that Luke records for us, they must have told a lot of people. I can't imagine not repeating that story. That night they started doing it right away. But they must have told quite a few people because Luke writes it down and we read it every Christmas. And friends, I get it. You might be thinking, that's yeah, a great story. But I mean, could God really work like that in my life? Yes. We don't know what God's presence in our life is going to do. What might he want to say? What might the God of with, life with God and life in God, want to do in and through you and me? If we just said, here I am, God, whatever you want to do, I'm available. This Christmas story, as we read it, it's not just about remembering a story. It's an invitation into his story. 
It's an invitation to life with him, life in him. So what I want to do is as we wrap up today, I want to create some space. It was in that space of a field that God's presence showed up. It was in the space of a manger that Jesus was born. And when we create space, God's presence comes. And so what I'm going to do is leave some time for us to pray. I'm going to guide it. I'm going to, I'm going to read a verse and let it just kind of wash over you. And there may be something that God wants to say to you. He, he personally cares about you. Some of you, I don't know where you're at in your journey. Maybe you're far from God still and you're just trying to figure out stuff. This may be time for you to say yes to Jesus for the first time. To ask him to forgive you of your sins, to, to say, you're the leader of my life and we would love to talk with you more about that. We'll be over here. Others of you just may need to be reminded that he's got a word of encouragement for you. You may be in a great season. He's just gonna affirm, this is a joyful season. This is a season of peace and he's gonna, he's gonna encourage you. Others of you may be struggling and maybe with a relationship issue or, or something, other pressure or stress. So whatever he wants to say to you, that's up to, that's up to you guys. But let's pray together. I'll read these verses over us and we'll close in prayer. Jesus, as we begin to enter this time of prayer, we're so thankful that you sent your son, Jesus. We're thankful how you, your presence God, it, it can make us write amazing pieces of music. It can in, inspi inspire and enable us to translate the Bible. God, you can use it to repair marriages, relationships. You can sort out our finances. You can help us get through apathy. <laughs> you can help us get through our exams. But God, what do you want to say to us personally during this Christmas season. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done for you. Philippians 4, 6. afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my strong, victorious right hand. Isaiah 41.10.
I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Holy Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13.